This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Good morning, everybody. How the heck are you? You hanging in there? Good, good. I'm doing well, too. Thanks for asking. Uh, It's a good morning. Uh, My family's all sick, which is a bummer. Uh, They're home. Maddie's got a little cold, and my wife is like, a week away from giving birth to our son, which is extremely exciting. And if I have to run off the stage, I will. Uh, So that's just the way it is. If you see me jump, I've been working out, I'm ready to go, uh, and I'm going to do it because it's go time. I'm really excited. Hopefully you won't see me again before our son comes, but if you do, it'd be great to see you next week, and he'll be here soon, and I promise I will get pictures. I asked Maria about video, and she said video was probably a little much for that moment, but I'm a sharer. I like to open up, so... Uh, video will probably not happen. Pictures will have to do. Uh, my name's Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here at New Life, and I get to share with you about a topic that is uh, one of my favorites. It, it really is. It's about experiencing God in uh, very passionate ways. And for better or for worse, I'm an emotional person. Uh, I thrive off that. I have big highs and, and lows. But this experience that we're talking about this morning, this area of engaging with God Um, speaks to passion, speaks to life, speaks to memories and experiences uh, of all that God is, and then letting that flow out in one single experience. And that's where we're going to go this morning. But before we do, I want you to imagine with me uh, for a few minutes. Think back to that first cassette tape or that first eight track or record that really grabbed you. Maybe it was the Beatles when they came to America or, or Jimi Hendrix. Think back. What was that first cassette, 8-track, if you're in your 20s, that first MP3 uh, that really got you? Take a second. Just think through that. When was it? Do you remember sitting up in your room listening to it over and over again? And now take just a minute. I want you to share that with someone next to you. Don't be embarrassed. We're all friends here. What was that first record, that first cassette? Go ahead. You can tell somebody. No shame. The record, Hanging Tough. The song, The Right Stuff. The year, 1988. That was a cassette that grabbed me. Over and over again, I listened to it. Don't, don't pretend like you don't have new kids on the block at home stashed somewhere. They were awesome. What is it about music that draws us in? I, I, started, I looked for that song on YouTube a few weeks ago when I was prepping this message, and I was just singing the right stuff all week long. Throughout the office, I was whistling it. Usually I've got worship music going in my head. It was the right stuff all week. I had Justin upstairs, our, our worship leader. Justin was dancing around. Uh, he told me not to tell his wife, but he was, and he looked good, too. Uh, it was fantastic. Maybe if you stick around second service, I'll get him up on stage, and he can do a little right stuff for us. See, the, the Bible talks about everything being worship, right? Our, our words, our thoughts, our actions, they have the capacity to be worshiped to God. The way that we think and speak and act, 
all speak to who God is and what it means to engage with him. But there's something unique about music. God wants us to experience him through musical worship. And he has from the beginning of time, from the beginning of people worshiping him and experiencing him, music did something. It drew something out. It, it helped people experience uh, a passion and excitement and engaged with God that he really wants for you. And so we're going to talk this morning about musical worship. What does it mean to uh, say through our song, through our words, God, everything I have and everything I am is yours. I give myself to you. Would you come and would you lead and would you guide? Because God has something unique for us in there. So I want you to get ready. It's going to be an exciting morning. But let's pray first and let's ask God to meet us in this place. Lord, we are uh, excited. It's going to be a fun time to experience you to engage with you, to talk through the realities of why you set music both in our hearts and in our minds, and you put it throughout your word as one of the key and unique ways of expressing ourselves to you. Uh, would you do something in this time? Would these words not just stick in our heads, but would they sink deep into our hearts and our souls and our, our center of our being so that we would uh, know what it means to, to really worship you? with our song and with our words, would you uh, take us to a place of passion and engagement with you? Amen. Amen. So worship is throughout the scripture. I want to start in the second book of the Bible, in the book of Exodus. Don't worry, we're not going to go all the way through the Bible. We're just going to start here for a little while, because Exodus is a great picture of uh, God's people really grabbing for him, trying to find him, pulling towards him, and then him meeting him in that place. When Exodus opens up, the Israelites, God's chosen people, are at the tail end of 400 years of slavery. Generation after generation after generation has been enslaved to the Egyptians, and it's been difficult to say the least. They have uh, been oppressed. There's been pain. Uh, there have been massacres of, of, of male children, of sons. It's been this horrible time, uh, and they've been crying out to God. God, where are you? I thought we were your people. I thought you were our God. I thought you were supposed to save us. You made this, this covenant relationship agreement with Abraham, our ancestors, and you said you'd be with us forever, and now we've been in slavery for generations. And they cry out to God. Their hearts are broken, and they're asking God to come because they're just experiencing this immense pain. And we need to put ourselves in their story uh, if we're going to know what it looks like to worship God. Because I think there are times when we cry out to God, and we say, God, where are you? You said you'd meet me in this place. You said you would be my God. You said you would guide me. And yet, I feel like I'm in this spot and you're nowhere to be seen. And so God actually hears the people. Towards the end of this slavery, God goes to Moses, uh, one of the Israelites, and he says, you need to go to Pharaoh, the most powerful man in Egypt, and tell him, let my people go so that they might worship me. And he says it eight different times through Exodus 4 up to Exodus 10. He says, Pharaoh, let my people go for the expressed purpose that they would come and worship me. God's desire is for the people to have healing, for the people to have freedom and wholeness and joy, peace. Uh, his desire is that they would have a purpose and a passion. In, in slavery, they couldn't do it. They were just stuck. They were uh, slaves to a cruel master who was keeping them in bondage, keeping them in fear, not allowing them to dream and live and experience all that God wanted for them. They were experiencing separation from their creator, and God wanted to bring freedom and healing and joy so that they would know God 
And the response would be that they would come and worship. For the Israelites, it was obvious. They'd been in Egypt for a long time. They were uh, building things for Pharaoh, and they were beaten, and it was hard. Their slavery was very clear, very obvious. For us, though, slavery is a little more subtle. The Bible says that their story is actually our story. We find ourselves with them. The Bible says that we aren't slaves to a person, but that we are slaves to sin, that we are slaves to things like addictions and uh, pain and hurt and patterns and habits that would keep us from God, that we are enslaved to uh, the separation from God, and that we need to call out to God for freedom. So their story and our story really line up in that they're in slavery, and the Bible says that before we knew God, we were in slavery, calling out to him, crying out to him. And the problem is that Pharaoh refuses. Moses says, let the people go. Free them, release them. And every time the Bible says that God had hardened Pharaoh's heart, and Pharaoh said no, and each time he said no, a plague came. And these plagues got worse and worse and worse until the final plague was God said, I'm going to kill every firstborn. From Pharaoh's son all the way down to the firstborn male uh, cattle and sheep. I'm going to kill every firstborn if Pharaoh doesn't turn and let the people go. And, and in the end, he doesn't do it. And, and God does what God says he's going to do. And that's when Pharaoh turns his heart. He says, okay, I'll let them go. In Exodus chapter 12, verse 31, Pharaoh says this to Moses. It says, during the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, up, leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go worship the Lord as you've requested Take your flocks and your herds, as you have said, and go. See, Pharaoh's distraught. His empire is crumbling. His son is dead. He's holding him. And there's this picture where he just says, Okay, God, I'm done fighting. Let the people go. And it wasn't a small group. There were probably a few million Israelites. And it's this massive exodus, hence the book of the name, the people leaving slavery in the millions and going out. And then something happens. Pharaoh realizes that he just let his workforce go, and that without a workforce, his kingdom would be in ruin. So Pharaoh says, you know what? We got to go get him back. And there's this massive corral effort that happens. He sends out all his soldiers and his chariots and his men, and, and the Israelites are walking up towards the Red Sea, and all of a sudden they look behind them, and all of Pharaoh's army is coming after them, and they think they're going to be destroyed. They think they're going to be killed. But God parts them. It's, it's, it's miraculous. God steps in the middle. God stops the people, and God opens up what's called the Red Sea. And maybe you watched The Prince of Egypt when it came out, that cartoon, or maybe you've read the story. The sea opens up to the right and to the left, and these walls of water come, and the people walk right through the sea on dry ground. And then the Israelites come in, uh, and they make it through, and the Egyptians come, and God lets the water come down, and the whole army just gets massacred. See, God's in the business of bringing freedom no matter the cost. Sometimes it's painful, but God wants you to be free so much that he would uh, get you out God wants you to experience a full life, a whole life. He doesn't want you to get stuck. And so we need to ask ourselves this morning, are there things that are keeping me stuck? Are there things that are keeping me from experiencing all that I know life should be? Because if there are, God wants to free you from them. He wants to redeem them. He wants to heal them. It might not be easy, but that's God's plan for you. He wants wholeness. He wants freedom. But the first step is to admit that we're stuck to admit that we're in slavery. For the Egyptians, it was easy. They knew who their master was. They knew they were slaves. For us, it's not so easy. We don't realize we're in slavery sometimes until it's too late. And the first step is to admit that I'm stuck in patterns and habits. I'm stuck doing things that are keeping me from God, keeping me from experiencing full life. Uh, one of my favorite authors is a guy named C.S. Lewis. And in a book called The Weight of Glory, he talked about this idea 
uh, that we just don't know enough to ask God to free us. And he says this, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what's meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. Lewis says that we are far too easily pleased. Are you settling right now? For what is? Because you can't imagine what could be. The Bible says that God wants you to cry out to him. He wants you to experience him. He wants you to find healing and wholeness in him. But the first step is to cry out. Can you imagine being the Israelites on the other side of the Red Sea? The water's still churning. People are screaming. Your adrenaline's pumping. Your heart is pounding. Your hands are sweating. You just experienced God do this miraculous thing, and finally, you're free. You never thought the day would come. You've been asking forever, and finally, you have experienced God's redemption. See, when the people realized this, their only response was worship. The next thing that happens in Exodus chapter 15, right after they cross the sea, right after they experience freedom, Moses and the priests lead the people in a worship song. They gather all of the millions of people and they say, we need to praise the Lord because when we experience freedom, worship then flows out of it. A few weeks ago, we had that baptism service. And uh, were any of you here second service? Yeah, I would like to, okay, you guys like to mix it up. I like it. Second service, something happened. Both services were amazing, by the way. It was literally one of my favorite. It was definitely my favorite service this year. One of my favorites of all time, watching people get baptized and experiencing that. But second service, something happened. Uh, back in the back of the room, we're singing worship. And I believe it was one of the women who was getting baptized. The, the team was playing up here. It was in between verses. And she just cheered. She just let out this yell that I can't even do because it'll make you nervous. When she did it, this place just erupted. We started this double clap that we never do on time, that we always have a hard time trying to keep, and it kept going all the way through. I opened my eyes. I didn't know which church I was in. It was amazing, and our worship went up like three octaves because she was experiencing God. She was experiencing transformation, and she couldn't hold it in. She just let it out. She just yelled. She just gave an amen and screamed. That's what happens when we experience freedom. Our only response is worship. So who worships God? Who are these people that should be worshiping God? It's people who experience freedom. Worship's not something that we do uh, for God. Worship's not something we do before God. Worship is something we do in response to God. Passionate worship flows from people who are experiencing transforming power in their lives, who respond to him by worshiping. And so I want to give you seven reasons why we should worship God. And we're going to talk through these because I think we have sometimes a misunderstanding of why we actually do this. Why do we do this thing called worship? Why do we ask you to show up here and sing songs with a group of people? What's the point of it? What's the purpose? And there are at least seven reasons why we worship. The first is we worship because it reminds us who God is. Or maybe we could say it this way. Uh, The second one is we worship because it reminds us who we are in relation to God. See, the Bible says that you're a child of God. You're a son. You're a daughter. The Bible says that you are uh, created by God. You're loved by God. You're healed from God. You're restored into a relationship with God. But the Bible is very clear that you are not God. And I think sometimes we get those mixed up. Sometimes we think, well, uh, we wouldn't say it this way. But we think, you know what, I can do it on my own. Maybe God started the process off, but I'm actually doing pretty good. Uh, In the book of Romans, Paul addresses this issue. These Roman people, these Roman believers uh, have this little thing mixed up. Romans 125 says, They exchanged the truth about God for a lie 
They worshipped and served created things rather than the creator. Could you imagine coming into church on a Sunday morning and the worship leader gets up and they start singing and the words are up on the screen and it says something like, God, I am so in love with myself and I am just so amazing. God, thank you uh, that you made me with no need for you. I love being stingy. This is why I don't lead worship, by the way. Uh, I love having everything that I want and not caring about other people. Could you imagine singing that? No way. We would never sing that. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes our lives actually go that direction. But we would never sing that. Worship reminds us who God is and who we are in relation to God. When we come into church, we sing about the truths of God, and it draws us back to that reality. Worship also expands our capacity to pray. I'm sorry. Uh, Worship reminds us of the things God has done, is doing, and will do in our lives. The first thing that Moses uh, sings in Exodus chapter 15, Moses says, Praise be to God, the horse and his rider he has flung into the sea. That's his great worship song. That's the beginning of this epic song. It's a reminder. Praise be to God. See, these people were largely illiterate, and so music reminded them about what God had done is doing and will do in their lives. It draws us back to the truth, irrespective of our circumstance, that God is God. Worship teaches us about God's character. Good worship teaches us about God's character, and we're lucky because we have good worship in this community. If you think my sermons are too long, just think about it this way. Each worship song is a little sermon. It's a three-minute sermon that tells the truth about God. It reminds us who God is. It speaks to who God is. It's theology. You take six little theology classes before you get into the sermon, and then you get a little bit longer class. But worship reminds us about God's character. It teaches us, and it expands our capacity to pray. Do you ever find yourself uh, with feelings or thoughts or emotions that are really deep, but you just can't get them out? Either you're afraid to get them out because you don't want to hurt God's feelings, or you just don't know how to get them out. You don't have the words to get them out. Worship gives us those words. When we come in here into this place, what we're doing is we're singing prayers. You're singing your prayers to God. You could take those home and you could sing those same prayers to God because they speak to who God is and they increase your capacity to engage with God in prayer. If someone ever asks you to pray in a group and you don't know what to pray, just say a worship song. You'll probably be doing pretty good. And uh, the last thing that worship does is it expresses our love, joy, and thankfulness to God. And it also expresses our fear, our anger, and our disappointment. It expresses our love, joy, thankfulness, our fear, our anger, and our disappointment. Uh, There's a great picture of this because it's easy to worship when everything is great. But it's hard to worship when things are tough. And God actually wants you to worship when things fall apart. Ezra chapter 3 says this, When the builders had laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments and with trumpets and the Levites with cymbals took their place to praise the Lord as prescribed by David, the king of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord, He is good, His love endures forever. So at this big planned worship time, All the people gave great shouts of joy and praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord had been laid. But many of the older priests and the Levites and the family heads who had seen the former temple wept out loud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid. 
while many others shouted with joy. So there's this mixture of emotion. There's joy by the younger people because God's house is finally being built. They finally have a place to worship. God's going to dwell among them again. But the older priests and the family heads, they remembered the old temple. They remembered their disobedience to God, how God had allowed the temple to be destroyed, and they wept out loud. Verse 13 says, No one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping because the people made so much noise and the sound was heard from far away. Do you ever come to church in pain? Real pain. Because of a loss of a, a loved one. Because of a loss of a relationship. Do you ever come to church scared? Really scared. You don't know what's going to happen in your future. Maybe uh, you've lost a job and you don't know how you're going to pay your mortgage. Do you ever come to church discouraged? You have prayed the same prayer for God to do the same thing for so long, and he doesn't seem to be doing anything. Do you ever come to church in pain? When you do, Jesus says to you, bring what you can, and I'll meet you in that place. See, worship is not about us having this great time right now in the moment. Now, that's part of it. We worship because of overflow. We saw some of the people shouted for joy, but other people wept loudly because there was so much grief in their heart about what had happened. There's so much memory locked up that they almost couldn't come, but they brought what they could and they wept. And there's a great picture. The Bible says you couldn't distinguish the shouts of joy for the shouts of weeping because everyone came together to worship God. If you can come when you're hurt, if you can come when things are difficult, when you're scared, when you don't know what's going to happen, you prove that God is true in what uh, Paul says in Romans chapter 8, which is God works all things for those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God will come, God will meet you, but you need to come and you need to be ready, even in the hard places, even when all you can do is bring yourself and just cry through the service. God wants to meet you there. I would say that God is as honored, if not more honored, when you come in pain and you just bring tears, along with the shouts of, of joy. And one other thing that I missed, maybe we could go back to that slide. Uh, worship actually calls us to take part in God's mission to the world. We sing truths about God, and those truths about God actually call us to action. If we really say, God, I'm giving you everything, I'm bringing everything to you, if that's our prayer, then God wants to move in that prayer, and God wants to call us into action. And so worship actually spurs us forward. It moves us on. It calls us to this great place of uh, expectancy of God, of knowing that God's going to do something, and then walking out. Worship spurs us to action with Him. So those are seven reasons why we worship. Now the question becomes, how do I prepare myself? How can I get ready for worship? Maybe you're like me and you've had this kind of morning. You wake up and you're ready for church and you're pretty excited, but everything seems to be going wrong. Heather referred to that today. Uh, you're running late or your spouse is running late. Your kids are complaining. Uh, someone just pointed, and I'm not even going to look in that general direction. Someone just pointed at their spouse. That's probably not a, the best idea right now. We're going to talk about reconciliation in worship in just a few minutes. Uh, so your kids are complaining. They don't want to go. It's a sunny day. You want to go outside. Uh, things, things just don't seem to be lining up. And you finally get in the car and everybody's grumbling. And on the way to church, you get in a fight with your spouse or your kids. Maybe it's about having to go. Maybe it's about what you're going to do this afternoon. Maybe it's about the week. I don't know. 
and you get into church a few minutes late, and people are trying to talk to you, but you just want to get your kids checked into kids' life or whatever. You get to kids' life, and they're running like 30 seconds late, and you just want to throttle the volunteers, because that's how we should do it, right? Uh, they really appreciate that, by the way. The volunteers, and they really like it when we yell at them and get mad at them. No, don't do that. Um, so you finally get your kids checked in. You come into church, and, and it's a few minutes past. People seem to be having a good time. You are not feeling it at all. Uh, you look up on stage, and it's the wrong worship team, right? And they're playing the wrong song. Either it's too fast or too slow, or, you know, it, it's too many guitars, not enough guitars. You fill in the blank. Uh, the volume's too loud. The volume's too quiet. Whatever it is. Uh, I get up to preach, and you have no problems with that. <laughs> Seems to go great. And, and then you leave church, and, and you say to yourself, man, God just didn't show up this morning. And the Spirit just wasn't moving today. I've, I've heard people say this to me, man, God just wasn't there. Can I tell you the truth? God showed up this morning. The Bible says God shows up. The Bible says when two or more are gathered together in God's name, God is here. So we can know that God showed up this morning. You didn't show up this morning. You weren't ready to come worship God. See, how we enter into worship makes all the difference in the world, both to God and to the way we encounter Him. It makes all the difference. Same songs, same God, different you. So how do we do it? How do we make sure that we're really encountering God in worship? How do we prepare ourselves? Three keys to preparing ourselves. The first one is make sure that worshiping God is my main concern. Make sure that worshiping God is my main concern. Not the other people, not what they're going to think. Uh, I, I always feel bad, by the way, for the people that sit in front of me, because I know I sing badly, uh, and my wife sings really well, and so the two of us next to each other just shows how bad I sing to anyone sitting right in front of me. So I always, I feel kind of bad for you, but it's not about you, and it's not about me. It's about worshiping God. Here's a tip, though. If you don't like the way you sing, if you feel self-conscious about it, sit towards the front, because actually the speakers are louder up here, and no one can hear you when you're up here. That's what I like to do. I like to move up to the front. But it's not about other people. They are co-worshippers with you. They're not your audience. You sing for an audience of one. You sing for God. The goal is to worship Him, not to worship yourself. Uh, worshiping God as our main concern means that our preferences are not our main concern. If God is my main concern, then my preference isn't. So it's okay if they don't sing the song I like. It's okay if they don't sing it the way I want them to sing it, whoever they happens to be. Worshiping God is our main concern. Style is not our main concern. So the first thing we do is make sure God is the reason why I'm here to worship. The second thing we can do is I can prepare my heart to worship. And there are a lot of different ways that we prepare our hearts to worship, but I want to highlight one. And it comes from Matthew chapter 5. Jesus says, Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and remember that your brother has something against you, so our gift that we offer at the altar is our worship. So if you come in to worship God and you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift in front of the altar, go and be reconciled to that person, and then come and offer your gift. For some people, they would travel multiple days before they could give their gift at the altar to God. So think about the power of those words. You've just traveled for multiple days to finally bring your offering to God. And then you realize when you get there, someone back in my hometown has something against me. Jesus says, leave your gift there, travel a few days back, be restored to that person, then travel a few days over to give your gift to God. That's the way we enter into worship. Think about the implications of that. 
you come into worship in the morning and you realize a spouse, a friend, uh, someone in this room has something against you, what, what would that mean for us? It would mean that we go and fix it. I had the opportunity to try this uh, not that long ago. I came in, I was worshiping, I was actually preaching that Sunday, and I remembered partway through our second song that uh, I had offended someone. I just had a sense that I had, and so I asked God, God, have I offended this person? And, and I got this nudging, this, this sense, yeah, you have. So I went out, didn't even know if the person was there, went out in the lobby, and I found him. He was talking to a few people, and I waited until they were done, and I said, you know what? I'm pretty sure I've offended you, and I want you to know I'm really sorry. Now, I don't want to just sweep over it there. I want to get together and talk more about this later. But I want you to know before we go into worship, I'm really sorry for offending you. Will you please forgive me? And he said, yeah, I forgive you. Let's talk more about this. And we got together the next week and talked more. But it was only then that I could come in and worship God. If you know someone has something against you, God says it's really hard to come and worship. Your gift is not the gift God wants if these relationships are broken. So if you know you've been talking about someone or holding on to a grudge against someone or whatever, God says you prepare by fixing it and then coming to him. And, and the last one, and this is, a really, um, this is a really deep one, so I just want you to get ready for it, okay? <laughs> Be on time to church. If some of us dropped our kids off late as regularly as we show up to church late, we would be getting a note home from the principal. I know because my dad's a principal. He would write you a note. He would say, come to my son's church on time. No, he wouldn't say that. Uh, Friends, if we're five minutes late to church, it throws everything off. We're rushing. We're a little annoyed. We're a little anxious. We have to get our kids put uh, put into their classes, put put away. And then we get in here and we've missed one song or two songs. That's a fifth of our worship, right? And then we wonder why we didn't engage with God. We were hurrying and hurrying and hurrying. By the time we finally settled down enough to experience God, the preacher was up on stage. And we've missed the majority of our time to worship. So come five minutes early. At the church, we're trying to help you with this. I don't know if you've noticed that really cool um, airport-sounding announcement that happens one minute before church starts. It says, Welcome to New Life. Services will be starting in one minute. Please make your way to the auditorium. It's really cool. Um, When you hear that, I would encourage you, make your way to the auditorium. That means church is starting in one minute. We're not lying to you. It's not a joke. It's not April Fool's Day. Church really will be starting in one minute, and you don't want to miss out on worshiping the living God. So if you're in a conversation, get out of it and come inside. That person will still want to talk to you after church. I guarantee it, because you are good people, and who wouldn't want to talk to you? But talk to them after, right? We're here to worship God. That's why we come into this place. I want to give you a few next steps. Uh, Next step one, take a step out of your comfort zone and express your worship towards God in a passionate way this coming week. I gave you some suggestions there, but those are just suggestions. I want you to know this is not about style of worship. This is about the heart behind worship. I gave you some ways to express your worship to God. Clapping, maybe singing for the first time, raising your hands, dancing, whatever it could be. Um, But I want to encourage you, look for a way to express yourself more passionately to God. And that's a heart thing. So check your heart. See what God wants to do. There's no wrong, right way to worship God, but God knows and wants our passion. He frees us so that we can worship Him. Another thing we can do is make worship a priority by coming to church five minutes early and following the steps that we talked about in the preparing yourself to worship God section. So I'll make worship a priority by doing the three steps, coming on time, 
making sure that I have a right relationship with other people and more time, make sure I relationship with other people and making sure God's doing when I worship. That's probably a good one not to forget. Um, so try that this week. That means setting your alarm 10 minutes earlier. You can do it. You can do it. I have a feeling that we're going to nail this next week. The last one, uh, listen to a worship CD or an MP3 or the radio. I put Caleb on there. It's 92.1 in Roner Park, Santa Rosa. I think it's 91.9 down here. Um, for 15 minutes and worship along with it. It's like reading your Bible. Ron talked about time with the Lord every day. We don't get to engage God fully when we only connect with him through scripture one day a week. The same thing with worship. If you're just coming and worshiping God on Sunday morning for 20 minutes, you're not going to really experience all that God has for you. So I said 15 minutes a day, but really that's only like three songs. So do 20 minutes a day, 30 minutes a day. Turn on the radio in your car to a worship CD and just go for it. Rock it out. Last week I was driving home from church and I was, I was singing, I was worshiping. And somebody from church drove up right next to me, and they were just smiling and looking at me like, you are hilarious. So I waved, just kept on going, eyes open, of course, because we never want to pray or worship with our eyes closed while we're driving. Um, But take it, try it, practice it. Worship God this week. It will make your worship on Sunday morning that much more powerful. And I I say the last question uh, because it's the most important, which is, who do we worship? Who do we worship? That's the most important question you could ever ask yourself. John chapter 14, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. God is the healer. God is the redeemer. God is the restorer. No one can experience the full life except through him. Friends, there's no other way to say it. I want you to know right now, if you've never come into a relationship with God, God could not love you more than he does right now. God could not want to have a relationship with you more than he does. God sent his son Jesus to die on a cross so that we could be brought back into relationship with him, so we could be freed from our pain, so we could be freed from our brokenness, so that we could experience the life that God always intended for you to experience. But it starts by you making the choice, who am I going to worship? I'm going to give you a chance to respond to God in just a few minutes. If you've never come into a relationship with God, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to go into communion. And uh, when I pray, I'm just going to give you some space. And you can repeat a prayer after me. It's a prayer that invites God to guide you on this journey, to lead you in life. And the Bible says that God is faithful. He will come and he will uh, take up his residence with you. He will guide and lead you. But it starts with the choice. He's made the offer. Will you respond by saying yes? And then in just a few minutes, we're going to take communion because it's our community's way to respond to this. Uh, God has done the work. God has freed us. You might not experience it right now. You might be like the Israelites in the middle of their 400 years in slavery, and you might think, it doesn't seem like there's any way out. I don't see any hope at the end, but I want you to stand on the truth that God will redeem, that God can heal. It might not happen on this side of eternity, but God will bring healing to your life. God wants to restore things. God wants to bring things back to the way that they should be. And so we take this communion, we take this bread, and we take this juice, and Jesus says, this is my body, it's broken for you, and this is my blood, it's been poured out for the forgiveness of your sins, so that you can come into an intimate relationship with me, so you can know me. And we're going to take this communion, and then we're going to sing a song, and I want to invite you, worship God with all that you have and with all that you are, because God deserves it, because God is the one that's bringing life and freedom and healing. So join me, and let's pray, and then we'll take communion together. Lord, it is so good to be in this place with my friends as we come to experience you. 
As we're praying right now, I just want you to think back uh, to a time that God has shown himself to you. It may have been 30 years ago. It may have been 30 minutes ago. Think back to one time that God has shown himself to you. That God has showed up. And as you think back to that time, I want you to focus on that as we go into worship. The God of the universe has revealed himself to you at some point in your life. Maybe it was faint, maybe it was very clear, but he has revealed himself to you, and that's the God that we worship. So hold on to that memory. God, we worship you because you have brought us out of slavery, that you've brought us from death into life, and that you are doing that even now. We worship you because of who you are, what you have done, what you are doing, what you will do. God, would you stir in us something deep that we would be a people who are marked by our passionate worship of you. As we continue to pray, if you've never come into a relationship with Jesus, uh, I want to invite you, if you sense God stirring, if something about this is resonating with you, uh, to respond to God. He's inviting you. He's giving you a gift of an intimate relationship with him, and he's asking, would you just say yes? So I'm going to pray, and if you sense God stirring in you, you can pray the simple prayer in your head along with me. God hears it, and God will honor it. So you can pray something like this. Lord Jesus, I realize that I've been in slavery. I want to live in freedom with you. God, would you guide me on this journey? Would you show me how to walk in a relationship with you? As you reveal yourself to me, would you help me to worship you with all that I am? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.